0: Technicolor Jesus is brought to you in partnership with The Christian Century, a magazine for progressive church leaders. Welcome to Technicolor Jesus, where we talk movies and pop culture with an eye for pastors, preachers, and Sunday school teachers. My name is Matt, and I'm the pastor at University Presbyterian Church in Austin, Texas. And I'm Adam, and I'm a scholar, minister, and writer in Pennsylvania. This week, in anticipation of the sequel coming soon, and kind of just because we wanted to, we watched that old Disney classic Mary Poppins with our good friend Becca Messman. And in our first segment of the show, Justification by Faith, we're going to talk about what this movie has to do with life and ministry, theology, and in the world. In our second segment, Preaching to the Choir, we're going to offer up some specific ideas for what
1: you might do with Mary Poppins for this coming lectionary sunday which will be october 14th the 21st sunday after pentecost and in our third and final segment postludes we'll take a second to share just another little preacher thought from each of us on something else that
0: we're reading or watching or following But before we jump too far, I want to introduce our guest. Becca Messman is co-pastor of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Herndon, Virginia. She's a community organizer and a writer for the Presbyterian Outlook and one of our favorite guests, one of the more amiable and gregarious people in ministry. Becca, thanks for joining us again.
2: Hey, you're welcome. It is so fun to be able to talk about movies and faith and preaching with you all.
0: So today we're gonna to talk about all that stuff and also Disney's Mary Poppins, which might need no introduction at all, but I'm gonna give one. Mary <laughs> Poppins. Mary Poppins is a nineteen sixty-four fantasy musical based on a nineteen thirty-four book by P. L. Travers, which is set in the High Edwardian London of nineteen ten, where a stodgy banker and his suffragette wife keep losing nanny after nanny until they hire Mary Poppins. It was sort of a magical realist plot device come to life. She brings a touch of surreal into their daily lives, or perhaps she highlights the surreal that's already there. And finally, even she warms the heart of the dad, Mr. Banks, so that the family can embrace one another again. Mary Poppins is played to perfection by Julie Andrews in her cinematic debut. And she's joined on screen by David Tomlinson as Mr. Banks and a very young Dick Van Dyke as local jack-of-all-trades Bert, in a film directed by Robert Stevenson with very famous music by Richard and Robert Sherman. You all probably know all the songs by heart. Becca, did you know these songs by heart? How much Mary Poppins has been in your life before now? And what was it like to go back to it?
2: it? This was a treat to go back and see this movie again. I had, in fact, memorized all these songs. I knew them by heart, and my kids watched in wonder as I still was able to sing them. Um, But I watched it this time with the eyes of an adult, and it had some massive gut-wrenching themes emerge. Um, And I've always been a person who sings through things. I sing all the time, and I feel like this movie completely vindicates me to all my former roommates who have been <laughs> awakened in the middle of a nap by my belting it out. So thank you, <laughs>
1: Poppins. I know one of those roommates.
2: Yes, you do. Yes, you do. I also think I love that this movie makes a case for laughter. I've, um, as a pastor in the church, I've never been quite sure how my goofball sense of humor would fit in, whether it had a real role. In ministry, and I always thought that pastors had to be really serious in order to be reverent. Um, this movie opened that up for me in a powerful way. And now, I think I'm actually going to fantasize about a session meeting where all of a sudden the very decent and in order folks there will pause their serious and important conversation, maybe about the upcoming 2019 budget. Um, And maybe that meeting devolves into the finance chair sort of floating up to the ceiling laughing with me. I think that is great. I'm going to picture that in my head. Um, And I also love that this movie, it's really a preacher's friend more than I ever remembered. Um, If you want a movie that really shows the foolishness of the gospel uh, next to what the world thinks is wise and is turned on its head, Uh, If you want a movie about the great reversals that are present in the kingdom of God, you don't need to look any further than Poppins. Um, And so what I loved and what was still there this time was joy. There's so much joy in this movie. It's for for my kids watching with me. um, That's what I remembered about the movie. I remembered kites. I remembered adults playing in the cartoons I remember wanting my parents to loosen up and play. I've heard my kids ask that of me. And then in this movie, that actually happens. It actually happens. Adults and kids just relax into joy. And then I think the the preaching angle that really came through clearly was a culture clash, a a culture clash in this movie uh, between powerful things like time the the oppressive nature of time booming over people's lives and in this movie it's a literal cannon it is a cannon shaking up everybody's living room then there's the orderliness of the banks and that is put right next to something that is unpredictable and joyful like the wind like dancing chimney sweeps and then this uh beautiful bird woman giving her crumbs
1: away so becca as you as you watch this again who is mary poppins like does she do this for lots of kids i'm i was i was sort of struck by the fact that the movie opens with mary poppins on a cloud for some reason
2: right
1: uh and she doesn't much say anything she just was kind of watching almost um sort of angelic like watching and then we don't see her for almost another 25 minutes.
2: <laughs> right.
1: Right. So the first part of this movie is setting up the themes that you're talking about, the orderliness, the the ways in which these parents are sort of absent from the kids' lives, but also the ways in which these kids are sort of running through nannies and and seem to need some sort of stern hand. And then Mary Poppins comes floating down famously on her umbrella. and And I can't. I haven't quite ever figured out what she is, where she comes from, how am I supposed to understand her? Because she is so attractive and so um, practically perfect in every way. But at the same time, I was convicted by the fact that maybe all of the paradigms by which I understand the world, whether, you know, are too ordered because they can't seem to make sense of her.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I, could not resist seeing her as kind of the embodiment of the spirit um this this order that really can pull i mean it's an ex nihilo hello image that carpet bag she's got she's pulling all this stuff out of there that wasn't there before this creative power and she flies in when the wind changes you know this kind of communion image of like the east and the west and and then she she has these gems of quotes that I swear I want to start my next sermon quoting Poppins that says, "I want to make everything quite clear. I never explain
0: anything." <laughs> That's a great line. <laughs>
2: what an amazing quote! Well done, Poppins. Um, and she just says, "Never judge things by their appearance, even carpet bags." Love that.
0: But there's love something there's something really interesting about her. Her characterization too, because yes, in a way, she she comes in, blowing from the wind, blowing as the spirit blows. There's a, and there's a there's a freedom that she imparts to the family, and a, and a joy and a laughter and all of that, but but she herself seems to have a very tepid relationship to it as it's happening. I mean, yeah. she you know, her watching the tea party happen. Floating in the air with this sense of like, we have places to be, we need to leave. Why is this going on? And there's a there, like, Julie Andrews is so good at kind of giving permission with her eyes while also kind of the dialogue somewhat puts her in a position of going, of, of being the one who is actually imposing order. I mean, the first thing she does in the house is clean up. There's this, yeah. so there, there's this like weird tension within her character. Uh, where what she presents is a certain kind of super British orderliness, and when the effect of it kind of out the side window is is this just totally raucous magic romanticism? Yeah, that there's a liberation that comes from the order. I, I there's she was also
1: I also noticed for the first time in watching this movie, and I've seen this movie many times, is how vain she is. Yeah. <laughs>
2: she needs a bigger mirror
1: she needs a bigger <laughs> mirror there's that and then there's that moment in jolly holiday where bert is talking about all of the other women who are who who might exist in this world and he goes through 15 names but you know the top of the lot is mary poppins or something like that but as he's naming those names she is aggrieved by their <laughs> their their mere mention and and there are these moments that were where yeah, Matt, like you, I was I was trying to fit it all into a consistent idea of who this person was, and um, and yet Julie Andrews is so winning in the movie and just so charismatic and just attractive as a human being that I never once questioned it, and I found that to be uh, an interesting uh, and an interesting conclusion on a rewatch like this is that for for some reason mary poppins only works with this sort of orderliness but also this this ability to tolerate chaos uh and participate in it i mean she she wins the horse race on the carousel like there are all of these moments where she does sort of give in uh bert tries to jump into the to the painting or to the the sidewalk art but can't and so she's like okay fine i'll do it because you can't uh and so I was, I'm always, she's an unpredictable force. And I guess, you know, that is in keeping with this wind image that continues to show up throughout the movie.
2: I would say I, I saw this as, again, the reversal of gender stereotypes. So mm. at its face, you've got Mr. Banks, who actually says, it's grand to be an Englishman in 1910, the age of men. <laughs> and he's, he's got this sort of oppressive orderliness and then he's got this like sort of just buffoon of a wife who also is seeking women's empowerment and, while losing her kids and still deferring to him like whatever you say Mr. Banks oh dear and then these sort of doting uh, cooks who just constantly cross their arms and then you have kids who seem to sort of model assertiveness in a great way, which probably was startling. um, It's still startling when kids do that. And then you have Poppins, who has an orderliness that seems sort of like, I I think I'm fascinated that you all saw that as sort of um, distant as opposed to um, assertive and powerful. Hmm. Whereas there's, um, Bert who's, you know, he's, he's flirty and he's pulling his pants to look like a penguin and he's dancing around and, um, he, he doesn't always seem to have an answer and yet she fixes things. So to me, um, it's, it'd be fun to play with her little measuring tape, uh, along the way with how Presbyterians talk about ruling elders, you know, we, we set ourselves towards the rule of scripture as opposed to like some sort of vain idea. Um, or that the mirror, she said, I like to see all of my face at once. Like, is that vain? Is that self-important? Or is that like a reasonable thing to want?
1: So I guess yeah, a, a moment of, of actual reflection.
2: Yeah, I think it's, it's, it, it, they're messing with the gender stuff there.
0: What did y'all make of, of the, <laughs> the course this movie takes as it goes toward the end i mean there's there's so many there's so much space for kind of opening up the fantastic we have this long animated sequence in the holiday scene we have the 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 people floating in the tea party but what we've been towards eventually is this kind of domestic family resolution Mr. Banks loses his job for bringing his kids to work and causing a run on the bank, but then he gets his job back at the bank, and Mary Poppins kind of goes on her way. Uh, did did it? I, I guess I'm struggling a little bit with trying to figure out uh, what has changed. And uh, Becca, you talked a little bit about this movie as a as a preacher's friend to show the reversals of the kingdom, and I I I, I want to. Cycle back to that and figure out um, what are the reversals that we see and, uh, and and how lasting are they.
2: Well, if I were to reverse things, I would see the the idea of his when Mister Banks is humiliated. They really do punch out the man's hat. How <laughs> that? they 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 reverse his umbrella and. Um, if you consider umbrella sort of control and ability to move forward, he is just, he's upended and they, they peeled the flowers off of his flower. Um, so yeah, he goes back to work and, and I don't think that means that he has like got some sort of great, like it all went back as it was. In fact, there was this cool quote where like the kids stare at him. I don't know if you remember that where they said, is it? Gonna be okay again, or something like that. That the kids look at him and they say, um, "Is everything gonna go back the way it was?" And he just says, "Thank you," um, because he doesn't want it to go back. He wants it to be better. And so I, I feel like the reversals are this—you know—the the folks who are seen to be as powerful and stifled and controlled, and they run the banks. Then they're the ones who float up to the sky. And they actually die happier than they ever have been.
1: Yeah, so I I'm I'm willing to entertain this idea of the going back to the bank is um is a redemptive move to trying to figure out how to like manage your work and family life or something like that. I it bummed me out so bad watching it this time. The moment where he's like, Oh, come on back to the bank and then there's like great delight on his face. Right. He gets to do that. And and I thought, oh, you know, in some ways, this this movie wants to take aim at capitalism, at the ways in which efficiency and the the manageable and the predictable are the paradigms and supreme values by which we run our lives. And to the extent that mary poppins is orderly she is also an agent an agent of chaos and she she's coming in to interrupt that world and the actually the thing that was coming back to mind while i was watching this is that mary poppins reminds me a lot of the cat in the hat too you know there's a sort of moment of like coming it's it's it's, they're both domestic stories there's a moment where someone enters into this and upends everything, but by the end, everything is put right again. and uh, everything is it has a has its place. And I just wish the place for Mr. Banks was flying a kite a little bit longer than immediately going back to the bank. but yeah, but maybe that's just too much
0: to wish for. It, the the movie has kind of an interesting relationship with like the concept of labor and work in the first place. I mean, I the Spoonsful full of sugar song at the opening or kind of her major opening has a very magical relationship to what work means. Uh, you know that every task you take becomes a piece of cake, which sounds, uh, um, which sounds great, but. I'm not sure what that, what kind of magic that's supposed to inject into actual labor relations. And so, like, yeah, in one sense, I want him to stay there and fly a kite. In the other sense, I don't want the film to not, to ignore the, like, the kind of practical reality that people have to have money to (laughs) raise their family and, like, do things. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a, there's, there's a tension there.
2: It sounds like the Christian in you wishes she had said a spoonful of salt or a spoonful of yeast uh, <laughs> instead yeah. of sugar. Cause like sugar does seem to convey, let's just grin and enjoy it and people should just be happier. And why don't you just smile? And you know, it's all having an attitude of gratitude Becca, I but, think
0: that's just slipshod sugary female thinking coming out of your lips. I, <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh, give it to me. Just, just, why don't you just smile? Um, <laughs> smile more. The,
1: yeah, you've got a really pretty, you, pretty smile. Do you know that?
2: You should use it. You should use it. Um, uh-huh. my, I think that I'm going back to this whole foolishness yeah. and wisdom thing where, so he, when, when everything kind of falls apart for them, or for Mr. Banks anyway, his whole worldview, and he's handed his hat <laughs> literally um, they do say that when there's nothing to say all you can say is supercalifragilisticexpialidocious right you know and, and he laughs and, and then he says this kind of crazy meta postmodernist thing there is no such thing as you
0: yeah that you part is radical? Radical. yeah
2: yeah exactly like what's real What's true, is, is the Mr, uh, is Bird's view of the world true? This sort of like upside down, ash on your face, where you see the birds, true? Or are those guys who seem miserable and everyone's like weeping and gnashing at teeth and trying to get their money back? Like, is that true? Um, and it really just sort of makes you, I, I think the remedy they seem to offer is, is, kind of detachment, you know, go fly a kite, laugh, just do your normal thing, but but a little happier than before. Um, and then guess what? Mary Poppins has got to move on. She's got to go to other kids. <laughs> so I agree. It's not as satisfying as Jesus uh, by any <laughs>
1: <laughs> Pretty high standard. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Especially when, when he went at the end and he was about to go get fired. I thought I really had forgotten that part, and I thought he was going to the church. He walked up to that big, huge door, and I was like, oh, I forgot that he goes to the cathedral. Whoa, oh, it's the bank. Um, so I I do think there is a sense that I really wanted him to have a complete kairos, um, yeah. turnabout, new, new vocation, new path. Um, so it did seem a little bit less uh, transformational um maybe more realistic for for the day-to-day though
0: well, well i think maybe that's a, a good segue for us to look at some scripture and see if maybe we can unpack a bit more of this in reflection with the gospel but but before we do that, I, I, I want to give a shout-out to the, the Sherman brothers who composed the music for this thing. These Yeah. These, these, Top-notch. And these gentlemen are legends, and I didn't know their names. But they, they, they live in the—not the, the, the Broadway-to-Disney pipeline, but in the Disney original movie pipeline with Winnie the Pooh and Jungle Book. And they also, and I want, I'm, I'm going to ask you this trivia question. You have to not look it up. They've also written the most performed song of all time. Do you know what it is? Hmm. No. Okay, according to Wikipedia, and what do I know? The most performed song of all time written by the Sherman Brothers. It's a small world after all. Just been on a loop in <laughs> Disney World for how many years?
2: Uh, oh, no. Uh.
1: So about the music, though, Matt, th- there is not a bad one in here. No. It is, it's, it's, they're just bangers all the way through, man. I mean, so many good songs. And I mean, apparently there are legends about how uh, Walt Disney himself was deeply in love with Beat the Birds. And every time he would see the Sherman Brothers and they would be sitting at a piano, he would say, play me that song and they would immediately play feed the birds. So so as we transition, let me say that we're grateful for our partnership with the Christian Century and we wanna guide your attention to the great work that they are doing. They have an article this week where 11 theologians and pastors answer the question, do politics belong in the church? So if you wanna have more of this conversation, go and open up the Christian Century online. Um, the responses to that question are so well measured and they're thoughtful and they're wise. They're really worth reading. And if you're listening and don't yet subscribe to the Century Technicolor Jesus listeners can get a free child magazine subscription. For more information, visit christiancentury.org slash podcast offer. Also, I want to notify everyone, I wrote a book. It's now available. It's called The Holy No, Worship as a Subversive Act, and it is out right now. You can buy it on Amazon or go to your local bookstore and have them buy it. But it's something I'm pretty proud of, and uh, and I encourage you all to read it.
0: All right, let's move on to preaching and looking at the scripture texts. This segment is called Preaching to the Choir. So looking at the lectionary passages for October 14th, the 21st Sunday after Pentecost, We've got a punishing lament from Job and a similar one from the psalmist, a stern warning from Amos, and Jesus' hard words in Mark's gospel about commitment and wealth and getting through the eye of the needle on a camel. Becca, as you look at these passages, what sparks for you, given our conversation about Mary Poppins?
2: Mm. If I were to preach on this movie, it sets up amazingly well with the text from Mark, and I would take the bait. It talks about that great reversal um, that is the truth of the gospel. Um, I would probably start off talking about the laughing ones who are shown to be wise. I might throw in that Anne Lamont quote about how uh, laughter is carbonated holiness Um, and then compare it to how the world holds on to things that really are fleeting, uh, and that's what blows away. Um, I would talk about how Mark makes a big deal of crumbs. You know, throughout the Gospel of Mark, crumbs have this really uh, startling power. You have the Syrophoenician woman who grasps for crumbs at the table, and then Jesus heals her child. You have crumbs that turn out to be enough. To feed the multitudes, and then crumbs that feed the birds. The last shall be first. Um, the saints and the apostles are smiling each time someone shows that they cares. Mm. They care, and I'd probably end with, though her words are simple and true. Listen, listen. She's calling to you. Uh, and then I'd invite the stewardship person to come up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and Feed the birds.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But I would, uh, I would leave. I would leave people to really work out what is feed the birds. What is that uh, elevation of the simple, and that that deeper truth of power in unexpected places look like in so our in our
1: life. As, as I hear you talk, Beck, I'm I'm struck by thinking about this Mark passage again and, and how funny the image is like the, the camel and the needle and the it's, it's a, it's an absurd type of image. And I wonder if it belongs somewhere in that tea party scene where everyone is laughing. I've always read this as Jesus being stern, but is he, is he being goofy here?
2: Yeah. Don't know that it was taken that way, um, given that the guy goes away.
1: Um, well, he's talking to his disciples at this point, right? Yeah. And so, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to to hear the words slightly different from the perspective of of what you said, like the the reversal of this, and the and how the reversal can be a sort of staggering and and harmful or or painful thing. Mm-hmm. Or the reversal can be uh, a goofy thing.
2: Yeah, and he does, Jesus calls them children there.
1: Right.
2: Uh, and he says, you know, for mortals, it's impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. And it really does uh, invite that prophetic imagination that I think uh, church people are often the the, the worst at conjuring. You know, we tend to think, you know, well... It's going to end up being us anyway. You know, like Peter, look, we've already left everything and followed you. Uh, And Jesus asked them to go even further. It's eternal life. It is this um, incredible possibility and you can't get it. And, And it does seem like the world in cartoon that our brains aren't too good at sometimes.
0: Matt, as you looked at the lectionary passages this week, what was standing out to you? Well, there's a couple. I think this this dovetails in a, in a number of interesting ways. I mean, the both the, the Mark and the Amos text have, you know, the, the, this attention to this this attention to questions about poverty and justice um, that I, that I think you could play out very easily from the pulpit using that basic binary in the movie of of being at the crossroads of the bank and of the cathedral. Um, with the the, the woman uh, giving away her crumbs, um, I, I I am interested in a in a different kind of theme. I I don't know that I would preach it this way, but there's a there's a there's something that comes out of that job text. You know, today my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy despite my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his dwelling. I would lay my case before him. Um, there's a There's a theme that runs through Job that is a little bit about kind of noticing where God is. Mm -hmm. Uh, Of course, God will come later, and it's the electionary text, maybe either the next Sunday or the Sunday after that, where God comes back and says, you know, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Otherwise, kind of, I've been here the whole time, you just didn't notice me. And I think there's an interesting theme in this movie that's kind of about noticing that, you know, the the opening, the two opening songs find Mr. and Mrs. Banks singing in their house with deep irony, where Mrs. Banks doesn't notice that the kids are have have gone missing while she's singing about votes for women. Mr. Banks doesn't notice that they've lost another nanny while singing about his well-ordered household. And then Mary Poppins comes in and says and says kind of notice small things notice cabinets that dance notice street art notice high tea um and of course at the epitome of that is is notice the bird lady listen mm-hmm. listen she's calling for you there's this like attention to small uh that i think could be played out as a way of talking about the places that we find god uh and and to to live with Job's urgency of seeking to find, but also to to offer some some possible some possible roads forward. So, um, what about you, Adam? Are there places that the scripture jumped for you? I have a story, which is Beck and I have a mutual
1: friend named Stina, and Stina grew up in Minnesota, where she uh, she had two videos. One was Mary Poppins, and one was a story of Jesus. And she watched these two religiously and then she would go to Sunday school and people would um, talk about Mary and then they would talk about Jesus. And she just assumed that they were all talking about Mary Poppins (laughs) and Jesus. (laughs) And being the good feminist that Stina was as a small child, after a while they start talking about Jesus more than they started talking about Mary, but to to Stina, they were, they were comparable. I mean, and it's not hard to see why Mary sort of shows up unexpectedly, but also ascends into the sky, just like Jesus at the end of the Jesus movie. Yeah. And they both do these miraculous things and they both sow some measure of like joy and laughter and freedom. Um, so finally, as the Sunday school teachers were talking about Jesus over and over, finally Stina's is fed up and says, "Enough about Jesus. What about Mary Poppins?" <laughs> uh, and I, I, I like this, in I like this story in light of the the Hebrews passage where, like, we have this great high priest who is um, who has been tested yet is without sin, and to see Mary Poppins in the same way, like. Mary Pop is a good, pretty good high priest, right? For all the reasons that we've talked about earlier, she, she begins to embody the tensions of order and chaos, of, um, of vanity and self-respect, of, of love and nurture as, and freedom, and also security and boundaries and, um, and some sternness. I, I read that Hebrews passage, and, I, and I'd like to play a little with that at some point.
2: If I were to preach the Job angle I think I would go with biblical humility just the idea of Job you know ashen face um just when when you've lost things to a ridiculous degree and I bet people in our churches know about the thing that just felt like piling on you know they they lose their job and then their cat dies and then a tree falls on their garage. And and they're just sitting there like in the ash, in the dirt. Um, and wanting a reason. Um, wanting to the why. And then um, this movie offers this sort of unexpected rising. Uh, uh, I think better than any movie I've seen, it has a literal stairway to heaven. You know, they're walking... <laughs> They're walking on the dirt toward this kind of higher experience of life. Um, I don't know if it's trying to preach that, but I, I do know people who have lived that where, you know, they were the ones who it just seemed like their lives had blown up in their faces. Someone had taken their plans, ripped them up, thrown them into the fireplace. And then all of a sudden, like, here it comes. And it's weirdly remembered. Meaning, like the pieces of it are put back together. Um, you could go straight to communion if you wanted to. About like all these broken pieces of our lives are are beautifully reassembled, and it and it leads us to a kind of rising that it is the resurrection. It is this hope of of, of an abundance, and you know, at the end, there's Mr. Banks, and he he puts back together their kite. And I think that's what people who have been through suffering can, can feel in their bones that something, and they can't quite explain it, never need a reason, never need a rhyme. Like it is just, it happens within them, this rising and it, and they're put back together. I, I think you could do a lot with that.
1: I think that's a great place to end this conversation of the lectionary passage. And uh, it's also the place where we thank Becca for coming on the show and watching Mary Poppins with us. Becca, thanks for being here. We always enjoy your perspective and what you have to offer.
2: Now carry on, Spitspot.
0: All right, now it's time for our last segment. This is called postludes, and it's just a chance to get one more little preacher thought from each of us on something else we're watching or following. So, Adam... Hit me. What's your posted for the week? So I have long been
1: obsessed with a lot of true crime documentaries, of which there are more and more. And this started with a long time ago a documentary series called The Staircase. But I have so sort of, I have dived into uh, the serial series on the podcast Serial, but also The Jinx and all and. Um, And recently, Netflix has put out two seasons of a show called American Vandal, which is a satire of true crime documentaries. It's really kind of a mockumentary of the form of the true crime documentary. And it is told in the voice of two high school students that are investigating what is a moment of vandalism in their high school, at least in season one. And the moment of vandalism is utterly infantile and stupid and the ways that they take they take this stupid moment so serious is hilarious to me and um and recently season two came out and it follows more or less the same form of taking very seriously something absolutely idiotic which to me just makes me cackle with delight so i i've watched this season on my couch after particularly long days at work. And and I'm just howling with laughter, waking up my kids because I think it's so funny. And, um, and what really caught me off guard was that by the end of season two of American Vandal, it begins making some of the more thoughtful and empathic conclusions about being young and how desperately you want to be understood and honored and how you want to belong. And it was one of those moments of being totally caught off guard because something this stupid shouldn't be this smart and thoughtful at the same time. And I ended the season just kind of overwhelmed with, the gratitude with gratitude for something that made me laugh a lot, but at the end of the day also gave me some perspective. And so that was a that was an unexpected win this last couple of weeks.
0: What about you, Matt? Right now, Adam, if you haven't noticed, the, the world is kind of a crappy place. Um, <laughs> 2018, 2018, not a banner year for humanity, no. but in the spirit of Mary Poppins, I'm relishing small British things that make me happy. So, like scones? Scones? L- sure, sure. Or let's talk about the latest season of The Great British Bake Off, which is now <laughs> on Netflix. Uh, this this show is one of the best cooking shows ever made and it's also one of the best competitive reality shows ever made, which by virtue of the Venn diagram there inarguably makes it the best competitive cooking show of all time. And and I think the reason it is is because it's just so nice. It's just pleasant and it's just people in a tent baking amazing things like some of that is kind of veneer i mean there's no doubt that when people break norms or when something falls apart there's tension there's angst there's certainly pressure the best week of the great british bake-off is the um is bread week because so much of the screen time is people just staring at things waiting for them to rise (laughs) and i am on pins and needles uh but some of it is also just that the show is so properly calibrated to the actual steaks involved. I mean, they're making cookies. And the show seems to realize that underneath all of it, they're making cookies. And that that's really pleasant. And I like to imagine the part right after the camera cuts when they all just go and eat all the cookies. That makes me super happy. Uh, many of you may already know all of that. You may not know that the new season, which... Famously followed a shakeup with both the hosts and one of the judges. It's still pretty good. I, I was scared that they lost the recipe. Heh, see what I did. But it did, it's I it's it, but it but it still works and it's still pleasant, and I, I really need some pleasant. Uh yeah. The, the 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 cross the Transoceanic Corollary is um is making it with Nick and Amy, which brought which broke over the summer on, on Hulu. Um this is uh, Nick Offerman and Amy Poehler hosting a Great British Bake Off-inspired show that is entirely about crafting, where they hang out in a barn and make crafts and are nice <laughs> to one another.
1: <laughs> I'd like to watch that.
0: And it's it's they haven't quite figured out the format and the structure of that one, but they've got season two coming and they'll 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 sort it through. And so I'm I'm just I'm in for nice things, and that that's that's where I am this week.
1: I'll go and check those out. I haven't seen either of those, um, but I hear a lot about the great British bake-off. So it's on the list. And that about wraps it up for this episode of Technical Technicolor Jesus. If you like the show, be sure to leave a rating on iTunes or come to the show page to discuss how we got it all wrong. We'd love to hear your feedback. And we are fairly confident that you have lots of opinions on Mary Poppins because you're a human. Drop us a line on Facebook or Twitter or at the show page of com. Special thanks, of course, to our friends at the Christian Century. Our music today was composed by Bobby Brinkerhoff. Big thanks to him and his band, the Van Dyke Cockney Accent. Thanks, Matt.
0: Thanks, Adam, for being Practically Perfect in Every way.